Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a lie killer, urban gorilla. I gotta be a rough nag. Free the Black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for Free the Black Panthers. F up the Black Police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, in the bill here, up coin tail pro. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up, unity so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black on black power moves. You telling lies, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Huh? We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth the crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday. I fuck me promise. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. If up the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. If up the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles But we still here, in the bill here, up coin tail pro RBG, 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 RBG My sisters, my brothers, the council, the elders, that's really all I need We suited, we booted, don't do it, you stupid, we head to the armory Black women and goddess, regardless, my heart just don't fuck with misogyny Foolish that don't tolerate it, melanated, so you gotta hate it Barack upped up another conversation, Trump finna get inaugurated, damn Unify or die, nbpp.org First and foremost, the new Black Panther Party, no, no other Black Panther Party, we are not violent. We are for self-defense and self-determination. And the most violent group in this country are the police. What is taking place by the police department to black people across this country is ethnic cleansing and genocide. It has escalated since the day that Barack Obama was inaugurated in 2008. We have a, 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 a people who are only 13% of the population, yet we make up 80% of the prisons. We have 50% unemployment rate in the black community, and it's actually even more than that because they're not counting our people that are in the prisons. The 13th Amendment said you could not be made a slave or indigenous service unless you commit a crime. The 14th Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation. Hey. 
Hey, y'all. Hey, what's going on? It is Black Progen Live. We have been gone for a minute, but guess what? We are back, and happy Black History Month. We've got a loaded show for you this evening. It's Beyond 40 Acres and a Check. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the importance and implications of legacies connected to slavery, under-the-radar issues, all the emotional aspects that come to the surface when inviting others to confirm or reject what you found in your research. Welcome, 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 welcome to Real Talk About Reparations. Now, before I get into introducing our illustrious panel, I have to remind you that we are available on pretty much every social media channel, and no, we are not getting on TikTok because I do not have TikTok time. Either way, be sure to follow us at Black Pro Gen. We're on Twitter. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Um, thank you to so many of you all. I think I'm close to 9,000 subscribers, so that is incredible. Of course, it took a long time to build that up. Either way, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Follow us at Black Pro Gen on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We are also on Instagram. All right, we've got a stacked panel this evening from all over the place. Um, and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but of course we have to say hello to everybody because it's been a while since we've been here. Some of us have been on 60 Minutes, and yes, I did pick you out first, so don't even make that face, whoever you are. <laughs> Some of us have been researching the formerly enslaved connected to the University of Virginia. Some of us have been um, coming into the cigar bar looking fly with our hats. Some of us have been doing research on the cedula. Some of us have been tearing it up in the Daughters of the American Revolution hosting the national podcast for the DAR. Yes, I'm talking about all of these people on this panel doing incredible stuff, and it doesn't even have to do anything with me. So how y'all doing, and who wants to go first? Who's going to talk? I'm the youngest. Glad oh, to my be goodness. here. Glad to be with all of y'all. Appreciate it. Ready for the conversation and hoping that people learn and take something away from what we're going to talk about tonight. Glad to be here. I'm so glad for Black Project. It's been so long. <laughs> I think I saw Reese next. I'm going to put you up there next, Reese. Hello, everyone. This is Reese down in Southside, Virginia, Danville, to be exact, and I'm just happy to be here. It's been so long. I feel like we've been gone for so long, and there's just so much to talk about, you know, so much to discuss. We couldn't even decide on a topic tonight, so I just hope you all enjoy, and like Shelly said, take something away from all of it. All right, Ellen, bring it up from, from good old Florida. <laughs> Florida, what can I say? Um, I know. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ellen. Um, um, California, you know? Right. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to, like, appropriately address what is going on in Florida. But, you know what, we're going to take one of the best things about Florida, and that is you. So, how have you, you been, too. Ellen? Thank you so much. I've been busy, and I'm really happy to be here. It's just been way too long since I've seen everybody. I'm just glad to be back. Good, good. And Brims are us. Mr. Green and Black, how are you, my favorite cigar-toting genealogist? Greetings, greetings from Baltimore, Maryland. The immortal words of Anita Baker. Been so long. <laughs> just glad to be here and just glad to be amongst friends and family. So I look forward to the conversation. 
Good, good, good. And last but not least, my co-host, Laura, she had to fight Adonis Creed in order for her to get up in this thing tonight. Right. (laughs) Listen, she had to fight Adonis. It was a whole situation. I don't think she's mad she had to fight Adonis. It's so good to see you all out there. I see you in the chat room, and I'm just excited to be with the panelists tonight. And even though me and Nick are on the other side of this, I still enjoy coming and seeing you in person on on the computer on Black Pro Gen Live. So I have missed it. Um, I have been busy volunteering. My podcast came out today, and I've just been busy with CAR State Chapter National Daily. <laughs> But we are going to get into it tonight, and I'm excited to um, let you give all these pointers out and get some of our feedback from our our viewers and everything. Right, right. And, of course, I have to send a shout-out to those who are in the space, who are in the green room with us from Who Is Nika Smith's Patreon. There's a lot of you who are here. Um, Of course, remember, you guys have the privilege of being brought on live on camera if there's something you want to say this evening. So hello, Amanda and my cousin Champagne, Trash 250 shout-out. Cynthia, Mary, Nikki, Renata, Robin, Shelly, Teresa, and Teresa and Yvette. You all are here with us in the space live. The chat room is crackalacking. Hey, Sasha. Hey, Shelby Cowan. Oh, my gosh, I haven't seen Shelby Cowan in so long. I feel like, you know, this is a little bit of a family reunion because the last time we did this was when the 1950 census came out. Um, wow, there's a lot of folks in here. Yakota, Vicki McGill, my good cousin Bridget is in the house as well. There's a lot of folks, but... Either way, um, we have way too much to cover tonight, so we're going to go ahead and get right back to the program. As usual, as we always do with Black Virgin Live, we start the show with episodes that refer back to the topic we're talking about. Now, granted, this is a history and scripted, which means that we are not going to be doing a lot of conversation around nuts and bolts genealogy records. We're not going to be talking about um, how to find this collection and that collection or that database or this database. This is really a conversation around policy, our thoughts, all kinds of stuff that revolve around genealogy and family history research. So with that said, um, definitely going to refer you back to the 1950 census episode we did last year when it came out. Um, that was one of my favorite episodes because we literally had live reaction shots of when the census came out um, and what our experience was like searching through it initially. Um, so, And then we came back a month later and talked about all that we had discovered as a result of the 1950 census. So be sure to check out the link to that previous episode. We also have playlists, um, researching the formerly enslaved. There's an entire playlist that is just for that, that is just Black Pro Gen Live episodes. So if you are someone who has been trying to find your enslaved ancestors, definitely make sure you connect back to that playlist so then that way you can get the tips and tricks that you need to trace your enslaved ancestors. Also, there are a whole other series of episodes that are under the History Inscripted banner. We've done things like trace the family histories of lynching victims. We've talked about um, people who discover surprise things in their DNA results, like I.E., somebody ain't your daddy. Um, And these are people who are black talking about these things, which oftentimes we hardly ever get to hear our folks having conversations about that. So again, History Unscripted has a different feel. It's not nuts and bolts genealogy. It's talking about a lot of different topics that are um, connected to family history research. So if you need the links to any of those videos, my good co-host True Ann is putting that stuff in the chat directly for you. Now, 
Now that we are here and we are getting ready to talk about reparations, which is a loaded topic, I'm just going to let you all know off top, if you come in that chat room acting a fool, you are going to get blocked. The block is strong. The finger will be used. So if you come in here talking crazy, it's not going to fly. We don't do that here. Amen? I didn't hear amen. In my body. Amen. Amen. Right. I'm like, where the rest of the panel? There ain't no amen. Ah, we are not playing. You were on mute being good. Right. You were on mute being good, but I'm saying we ain't playing, okay, because this is not the time and we are not going to be doing it, okay? So here is what we're going to set the ground rules for the conversation, all right? Here are things that we are not going to be discussing tonight, and there's a deliberate reason why we are not engaging in this conversation. Number one, we are not going to have a conversation about what should be done with the money and the amount we are owed. We ain't talking about that, okay? That is not a point of conversation. We are not doing that. Additionally, we are not going to have conversations about who should qualify. We ain't talking about that. So if you came here for either of those two things, I'm sorry to let you down, but we are not going to be talking about that, okay? We're also not going to be talking about the documents that you need, how to get to them to prove that you should be entitled to whatever. We're not talking about that either. Now, we may allude to certain documents, but this is not a how-to on how to ensure your family gets reparations. This is not that conversation. In parts, it may go there, but by and large, it is not, okay? Um, In addition to that, If you need help, if some of these programs impact you, we have plenty of resources to get you to the documents that you need to get to. More than 130 episodes. That's more than 130 hours of Black Pro Gen Live that can get you there. We ain't doing that tonight. We ain't doing it. Okay? Now, what what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the current national and international conversations that are happening around reparations. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the nature of documentation and what people in genealogy think count versus what systems and um, the government and other entities consider to be valid records to, to, uh, to denote descendancy, okay? We're going to also talk about the emotional aspects of this, which a lot of folks are not discussing because everyone is so focused, or many people are so focused on the end result, the after you have already submitted your things, they're not, people are not talking about the emotional aspects of applying, waiting, and the back and forth, and we are going to have a conversation about that tonight. We're going to talk about why establishing legacy in your family matters, as just as much as the benefits that you receive, Okay. We're also going to talk about local and national organizations and movements um, and their support or lack of support for reparations. So now that we are in this space, okay, we've already given our caveats or what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about, the first conversation, the first question I have for the panel um, this evening is what are some of the more recent stories around reparations um, that stick out to you? And you all just jump in how you feel. I'm just thinking about this story about, uh, well, reparations for the, it's not exactly HL 40, but the people who have been um, survivors of various eugenics programs in California and in Utah, which was really, um, really astounding. Uh, Utah has made no, no move to apologize to anybody 
Um, and then in California, the program there is distributing for distributing was it four and a half million dollars to whoever to the people who have affected, but there's only a year left, and the prison has thrown out the records in part. So we also have to deal with losses of records as well. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stories that have come out, but um, because of the eugenics thing and how that just kind of draws this line through so many aspects of this as well. Um, that's kind of why these things kind of stood out to me. I have a quick question on following up on that. Is there hidden stuff with that? Is a lot of that that is just breaking out? You know, I was reading some of that earlier today, and, and I'm saying that for a reason for anybody that might be questioning about that. But has this been, because it's not new per se, but we are just now, it's hitting the the news channels and the, you know, the different aspects and stuff. But like you said, we don't hear any responses, but has there been purposely things not being told or are we just getting a level or does it look like everything has been exposed? You know no, I'm I saying? think it depends where you're talking about. The United States is, they, um, just Utah right like now. 60, yeah, but it's like 60,000 people total have been, okay. have been, you know, involved. So then you have different states. But the only two states I've heard anything about were California and Utah. Utah. And then in, in California, one woman who was interviewed, but it really struck me was that she was out by herself in a way, thinking that she was the only one this happened to. Right. And didn't realize that she's passed part of an entire class of people yes. that this was done to. And I think that's, 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 a, that's a big load to have. Well, and I think you. there's there's a couple of conversations we're having right now. We're having a conversation around how people who have unfortunately been the benefactors of eugenics right. programs in the United States, meaning they were castrated um, or right. in some ways, um, you know, they had their fertility sterilized. Sort of euthanized. They were sterilized yes. by the state because they were deemed to be unfit. And there have been a number of states like North Carolina, Virginia, that have issued apologies and then also given compensation to the victims of uh, eugenics. Um, and again, folks are thinking, oh, well, that must be something from the 30s. No, there were Latinx women who were sterilized in the state of California going up into the 70s. Um, there were women in the California um, uh, prison system who were sterilized all the way up until, what, the 90s or so, even the 2000s? No, this woman, I think she said 2005. Right. So I mean, it's that, really close. Right. So that, it, from the eugenics aspect, that's one class of people. That right. does not factor in race. Mm-mm, not at all. Right? So that's not You know what I'm saying? So that's like yes. eugenics level reparations. Then you add on in terms of racial reparations. Mm-hmm. So... What are some of the other stories you all have have heard um, in the news more recently that have stuck out to you? Well, um, right now, all eyes are on the Chagos Islands. I, don't quote me. I don't know if, you know, I pronounced that right. Um, but it's this group of islands in the Indian Ocean somewhere. Um, but apparently, and I mean, this happened just a little over 50 years ago. So this hasn't been lo- that long ago. But the people that um, were on this island, they were the descendants of, you know, the slaves that, you know, came from, 
what is it, Madagascar. You know, they were, yeah, so they were just dropped off. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, they formed their own culture around this land. You know, they had been here, um, you know, since slavery um, or whatever, and they were forced off um, because they were, you know, eventually owned by the Brit- British, like everything. And so um, because the United States wanted the land to put a military base, you know, the British just said, okay, and they forced them off. I think they, uh, you know, they, they went to different places. Some of them ended up in, what is it, the, the San Chiles or, or some islands. Um, but they said they went from basically <laughs> sugar to, you know, I wouldn't say that word, but, you know, um, they were impoverished, you know, when they, and they came from what they considered a land of abundance where their, you know, generations of their families have been there for years. So you have the Human Rights Watch that is, you know, demanding reparations. And mm-hmm. so you have the UK, you know, they've apologized. You know, King Charles, he's, a, you know, put out an apology, and they're willing to pay reparations. Um, so they want reparations in the form of giving them their land back, you know, and providing compensation. But, you know, it's, it's funny you haven't heard anything from the United States. It's, you know, just been cricket. And, you know, that's because they haven't reckoned with their own, you know, I would assume. But, you know, just crickets. But, like I said, the U.K. has already spoken up. And it's just something to think about. You know, this is just a little over 50 years ago. They're the they're descendants of um, the enslaved just like we are, just a boat stop, you know. So, and I put the link in there because the word she is saying is C as in cat, H-A-G-O-S, islands. Andre, did you and want to weigh in? And there's a new article that just <laughs> so came Chagos out. Yeah. yeah, Chagos Island. Andre, did you want to weigh in? More so just thinking about that there's always articles about governments and county councils and states struggling still to talk about reparations and what does reparations mean. And it's it's still very interesting to hear that these are conversations that people are still struggling with. Um, and there's always this conversation about money and we can't even get to the conversation about just acknowledging that things happened. Yeah. And so I was like looking at an article about poor Ellen, but her state of Florida where you know, you can talk about reparations, you, you can say reparations, but you can't necessarily teach it. teach it. So what's the point in being able to say the word if you really can't go into the details? And so these are little nuances that keep coming up where we want to dip our toe in the water, but then we really don't want to dip our toe in the water. And so there's that hypocritical of we as a country and you know, we talked about U.S. not acknowledging um, the previous um, point. We, we really don't want to talk about reparations. We wish that that word was never even discussed, brought up, and swept under the rug. True, Ann. Sorry, go and True, Ann, and then we'll go with Ellen. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think Andre summed it all up for me. You know, with all the different aspects of it he wrote he wrapped it up in a good bow but I think the case that always sticks out with me because it came out on my birthday years ago 
but you know we always think about rosewood that was always like a um you know a starting point for me and how that all went down with the bill and what they didn't get and what didn't happen and what did happen with that and and then there's been so many afterwards after that but that that case it was i think it was in the washington post years ago it might have been on time or some other um you know uh national uh publications but that case always stood out to me about how they were giving them reparations and all the different aspects of how you can look at it for your own family and what they decided as a family to do with that bill ellen I just wanted to add on to Andre, I really wonder if this guy's trying to head off this discussion coming to this state. Because mm-hmm. Lord knows there's plenty of sites here where people, where people can, uh, you know, apply for redress or to start this movement here, here as well. I'm not sure if there are movements in Florida at this moment, but it seems like it's certainly right for this here to happen. I would imagine there's things that are rumbling and coming together for that, especially with the other recent news just in the last six months or so, the different things that have been hitting out nationally. And again, you think back to the community that you're in, it's just a matter of time that it's going to be knocking in your area. We might be talking about Florida now. I'm in Virginia. But, you know, we got family down there. Y'all got friends, family, and everybody. And there is some impact. And how do you prepare for that? You know, really, how do you literally prepare? And I have adult children, but what if I had young children or children middle school to high school? How do you prepare for, number one, to keep up with this? Because you can't ignore it. You have to keep up with this. Well, we're at old school at this, keeping up with news, and we got more access to news than ever. And how do we push that out to the younger ones? Because they also have a different attitude and a different outlook because they have different skills and experiences versus anybody, say, over 40, you know, type thing. So how how can we prepare our families and our communities or whatever might be coming on this aspect, because it seems like there's a tidal wave running, starting with Florida, California, Texas, whatever it is, it's all coming, coming to a community near you type thing. And and I just pose that question, you know, to the panelists, how can you, besides just being aware, what do you need to prepare for or what do you need to know? Well, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. You could look at you jumping ahead, Shelly Murphy. Um. That's my question. <laughs> you know, when I think about that, and he, you know, and True mentions about the islands, and I'm thinking, how are they handling that? Those islands might not be tech-savvy generationally as we are in the areas we are. Oh, uh-uh. we ain't we ain't much more tech savvy. I I need us to understand that the elders here ain't as tech savvy as the people there and vice versa. Like we uh uh-uh. uh we need to own the fact that there's a divide not just 
like from state to state, but from from county to county, from city county to city, to like county. people city. having access to consistent internet is the number one issue that we have yeah, here. Yeah, I'm watching mine. So, right, stable. so we really, right, so <laughs> we really cannot be having conversations about folks in no Caribbean spot not having access to tech because we don't have access to tech here. The they county I live in, right, the county, right, 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 the county I live in. Some people need satellite. They cannot yeah, get. Yeah. They can't get I'm cable. Rural and too, they can't and half get, of it is satellite. Yeah. Right. Sat, right. They can't get satellite, or they if they can get satellite, they can't get cable. So it's right. it's just a bunch of different things. We've got one person um, who is here, um, who's joining us from Patreon, who wants to say something, um, and we are going to ask her to go ahead and talk. What would you like to say, Nikki? Nikki, you have the floor. What would you like to say? She's on mute. There she goes. Hey, I'm sorry. I just want to say I read um, one of your posts in Patreon about what Microsoft did to those ancestors in Virginia, dug their bodies up and let them sit in the rain and degrade to where you can't even have any genealogical evidence to trace their people. And, you know, we still have people running up in grocery stores killing us. You know, the Buffalo shooter just got life in prison, and my cousin tried to run up on him and run him down. You know, when we still have things going on like that in the United States, that's why we need reparations. It's a debt that's owed, and it's a justice claim. And that's all I wanted to say. All right. Well, thank you for your feedback on that, Nikki. Um, So... I, the next question I have is around where slavery falls in your family. What generation is that on? Because I think many people do not appropriately calculate how many generations back they have to trace in their family trees to get back to slavery. For instance, in my family, my enslaved ancestors start at my great-great-grandparents meaning my grandparents, grandparents were enslaved. Where, for all of you, does slavery start in your families? Second great-grandparents. About third great-grandparents. And because I have a, um, had an elderly father, uh, my enslaved uh, ancestors would start at my great-grandparents. And I'm only 44 years old. Mm-hmm. Not great, great, not great, 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 but great. My right. grandpa's daddy, <laughs> born in 1862. I mean, he was a baby, but yet and still, he was enslaved. And there's, you know, documentation with him on the inventory of his mother's enslaver. His parents had two different enslavers, but, you know, there, he's there as an infant. And also, oh, I'm sorry. I just thought about this, too. Just thinking back on this one ancestor, his father actually sued the enslaver for his mother's wages Mm. from her former enslaver. Six great-grandparents. Look at the difference. It's amazing. I'm thinking about, for me, it's like the we always use granddaddy Ike as our, my second great grandfather as an example, but then when you look at my husband, 
his great grand it was his great grandfather and he just turned fifty. So you see the closeness in him and the variations with my my family. Mm-hmm. And that just shocks me. And then you think about granddaddy I grandchildren that their parents were his kids, they're still living. So I'm taking all that into account. But it it lies right in there. It lays in there in that you know, that great to second for me as a faith So question for everyone. Do we really or do we really want to talk about reparations? Because I always get the sense that when you hear people talk about reparations, they're doing it out of, I think I'm supposed to, versus really wanting to know and understand the different variations of what reparations really is. Because we're talking about, well, how do we get people to understand and how does that connect to our family line? But do we really want to have a couch moment and talk about what reparations is and why it is important? I do personally, yes. Because it is something that well, number one, it's due, it's overdue, and I think there's enough history evidence or supportive history evidence to show that it's due. Some, some, Whatever way it comes, as in what Nika said earlier, whatever way it comes, it's, it's back pay. And and it needs to go forward to sustainable for future generations. So yes, I I believe that conversation needs to happen, and it's been going on too long now. And so it's not getting anywhere. So how do we focus the conversation? Because we always are stuck on the mo- on the money. I'm not focused on the money. I just that conversation got to happen now, and I think it needs to be because we're giving up too many excuses, and we need to talk more on these policy type changes and things like that, and get these things where they need to be, so we don't have to have the conversation anymore. It's there, and it needs to happen. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a matter of people don't want to have the conversation. I think people are having it, but the amount of harm done is so egregious until it overwhelms people. That's what I think the true issue is. It's, it's, it's like, I mean, literally look at how we laid out like the first question, Ellen brought in eugenics, uh, Reese brought up an island. I don't even know where the heck it is. I'm gonna have to Google map it. Uh, True brought up Rosewood, right? We have 75 examples of egregious acts against a collection of people that there should be some form of atonement. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to wrap your arms around something that is so big, right? Like this is almost, you know, like when people use the adage, how do you eat elephants a bite at a time? This is like a football stadium full of elephants. So it's, it's really hard to like quantify. And I think we're looking at the chat. There are people saying great-grandparents were enslaved, great-great-grandparents were enslaved, three times great-grandparents were enslaved. How does that impact your family? Like, just, again, let's stop talking about money. Let's stop talking about benefits. 
Because in some instances, for for example, with the project that I work with with the Trash 250, we cannot go to Amherst College and say, you need to give us free tuition for our kids to go to school, not when the school already has a program set up that is need-based. You can't walk in there saying that. There are no preferential admissions. They got rid of that to give every student the same opportunities. So you can't walk in asking for the same things. And state by state, stuff is different. What Ellen may face in Florida is not what I face in Tennessee. It's not what True faces in Kentucky. It's not what uh, Shelly faces in Virginia. It's not what, what Reese faces in Virginia. And it's not what you face in Maryland, which is why there's never going to be, in my personal opinion, there's never going to be a federal program. Because how it should be doled out and how racism was doled out and how marginalization was doled out was doled out local. And while there are federal levels, right, or things where we were not protected under the 14th Amendment as citizens, yes, that's there. But it's, it's a stadium full of elephants at this point if you address it from, from, the, uh, from the federal perspective. I mean, again, that's just my that own That also includes loss of memory? When you when you tied to the elephant, but I'm saying, is that also linking to loss of memory? I think loss of memory comes into play when, again, small incremental decisions are made throughout time, and people then have to adjust based on those things. Just like with what's happening in Florida with AP education and, right. and, and, and the woke act and things like that, when, when steps like that are made, the equivalent to that in researching enslaved people is the decision on the floors of Congress to remove the names of the slaves from the slave schedules. Those are those small incremental steps that reverberate throughout generations. It's the reason why we do not have a list, a national list of enslaved people, is because our elected officials made a decision not to do that. So I, is there anything else anybody else wants to offer for this? Because, I mean, again, we have to think about the impact in our families. Every, every generation of, of my family where I've traced my enslaved ancestors, like, it's different. For me, it starts at great-great-grandparents. On one line, it's super easy because I have DAWs cards. Right. Right? The name is on the card. We only have to trace back to 1905-ish or when the DOS Commission happened. Even if the person didn't get approved, the name of the slaveholder is right there. Right there. Whereas, right, if you go to the husband of that individual that connects me to the Cherokee Nation, oh, no, we've got to go back another 30, 40 years, 50 years in order for us to find someone's name on a document that connects them to enslavement. Um, any other thoughts before we move into our next section here? And I see there's a hand up um, in uh, our Patreon group. Any any other thoughts while we're here? There's no other. There's no one path to any of this. Just and you can't do it locally. You can't depend just that local government will carry it through with some of the stuff that's been going on lately. And there has to be some other, some kind of oversight somewhere. It seems or something to make sure that these things happen. It just seems like. Like what happened with HR 40, now what, it's installed, installed in the house? I think that's a good point, though, because we always think there should just be one path and not open to the notion that that it can be multiple and for there to be an effective conversation, there has to be multiple because of what Nika just said. It's like, it's not going to happen at a federal level. It's going to happen at a state, local level. So there, right there is at least two paths. 
and how you choose to acknowledge it, how you choose to even consider what the redress is. So, so talking about the different paths and things and the holdup at this whatever level it's at, what responsibility should we be bearing to make sure we can make the movement, get the different paths? There's different groups, there's different coalitions and things going on, and some are getting a little further than others. I think in California, you know, where discussions are going, California might be popping out first with something, you know, to for others to be able to develop and follow. But what more at, and I'm going to say at the local level, how and what more can we be doing? And and I'm not one to whine and just complain, but as in a call to action type thing, you know, if we're watching these and monitoring all these different things that are going on, what can we do to mobilize more? Because just as it starts at the local level and goes up, it also stalls at the local level and goes up. And so it got to go back to the community and to the people and people like us. What can we do for that push, I guess, or be more involved or, or whatever? And if that's coming up later, tell me the way. It is you over here going well ahead. I need to pull that sheet back up. Right. I am not going to go back to answer because over here. Shelly over here, I mean, literally, we at the train station. We waiting. Andre I'm over there. Ready. Car, right? I'm and, ready. And Come on, Andre. Let's get there. on we that train martini, Right? Shelly didn't talk to the conductor. Told him, we got to go. We said out there waiting. Train ain't supposed to leave for the How 15 minutes. How long we going to keep waiting, though? Can I answer the question before oh. I leave my train? Hey, oh, when, when you do get there, um, well, Call I me. think on the local <laughs> <laughs> on the local level, you know, some of the things you can do, and it does involve, you know, genealogy, is within your community, you know, because we know the case, not, you know, not all, but a lot of um, black families, they never left the communities that they were enslaved in. You know, a lot of times they were close by. And so now, you you know, we, we have um, – where all of these cities around us are doing all of these studies around equity and, you know, all of these things. So it's a, a lot of things just to check off boxes, you know, just to say collecting all this data that they're not going to use when the data is in their faces. So what we do is mobilize our communities and, you know, get the descendants together of the enslaved that were in these communities and, um, you know, so that they can advocate for themselves. Um, and, you know, by doing that, um, they're tracing themselves back to the, you know, the early um, um, founders of that community, the, you know, the early, you know, their ancestors. And um, you have a case where you have the city coming in, you know, it's already been a history of redlining and urban renewal and all of that. So, you know, they're now coming into our communities and, you know, we don't know how to advocate by our, for ourselves by forming these coalitions so that we can apply for historic markers so that, you know, we can get, you know, the same kind of 
um, credits and benefits that the white communities do and benefit from tax credits and the like. See, um, I, 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 I got to, I got to interrupt you, Reese, yeah, because I, know, right? I, I don't, I don't, it ain't no coalition. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> we don't listen. We supposed to be, well, let's listen, right. Right. Come on. This is why we having this conversation. Because we over here talking about people that are in their history. No. No. Listen. 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 Reese, it's a wonderful. Right. It's a wonderful thought you have. That is how it should go in an actual world. But one thing I know, especially about us people with melanin, especially black people, is we have issues around class that we need to have conversations about before we can even get to the table to advocate for people. We can't even approach each other on that because I have an expectation that you are going to meet me exactly where I am in my life and where my family is in my station. So then when I make, again, this is go back to Shelly leaving us on the train. (laughs) Shelly left us at the station. She didn't got on the train because she got her bag. She has got her mouth fixed. She I am picking down. up people all yeah. the way, though. Right, right. And I'm not saying that. Right. But she, she got her drink, and she's sitting there chilling. But there are several other people who ain't got a drink and who ain't got a seat on the train, and we sitting up there. And don't have yeah. a ticket. Right. They don't even have a ticket. Mm-hmm. That's so, why we so have to I, organize. Right. You have to give them the education around what's going on so they'll but know listen, to advocate but for listen, it, listen, all goes in, it all goes in together. But listen, that's, true, what's true, wrong. that's why we've been left behind. True, Ann. Let, make yeah. your point because I'm going I'm to also, I'm going to come on, Reese. You know I'm not going to say no names, but we've Call already me. been there before, and we know who those hierarchy people are that's up there. We know who they are. We we saw what they did, and we Generation. know what they're going to do again. <laughs> like, we already know what's happening over there and what we got to do to move forward and get out of that space that you were mentioning before about people are going to be left behind. It could be this. It could be that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Without getting all explosive about it, but see, I, I you, well, the question was asked: like, what are we doing locally? What are we doing ourselves to help? Wait, but right, right and what I'm doing. Right. Well, and that's the thing. That I'm not knocking what you're doing because you're doing exactly what you're what you're supposed to be. But one of the things that I know about the civil rights movement is that the NAACP was not on board for sit-ins. No. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah. That's, that was a student yeah. movement, That's right? True. We that have is, yeah. class issues in the black community that prohibit us from having nuanced conversations about reparations. And before we can even get to that part, let's talk about the records. I agree. Let, I, let, let's go back to the records, okay? Because the question was, how does the impact of where slavery falls in your family, what does, how does that impact how you address this or how people show up in terms of these programs based off of what we've seen so far in terms of, of what's been thrown out in terms of qualifications and requirements and whatnot? And I put a little something together because a question popped up for me. The question I had was, why is my best friend who was born three years before me in the same state, why does she have a race on her birth certificate and I do not? Mm-hmm. It was a simple question. So as I share this video, which is going to be just a couple, um, just a couple seconds. 
All right, hold on, please. I don't know why this is not giving me the ability to share my screen. Let me go ahead and stop. There was a comment in the chat that I thought was pretty thinking poignant um, from, um, and I bet you this is not even gonna play video or audio. You guys let me know if you can hear this because it didn't give me the audio, they didn't, didn't give me the video, the ability to share video. I'm not sure why. Can you hear it? Got video, video. but I no sound. No audio. Right, no sound. I don't know what's going on, Zoom, but regardless, we'll get it up at some point because it will not allow me to share this video. But the point that I make um, is, is this. If you have to prove you're Black, okay, if we go based off of what the draft standards are right now in the state of California, okay, in San Francisco, who has a reparations program, Several of you have been commenting in the chat around different cities like Evanston, um, maybe Boston, who the mayor has given a, um, a sort of, uh, what do you call it, uh, it created, wants to create a task force, which her task force includes high school students. I don't know if you all have noticed that, but San Francisco has given us just a basic plan, right, for, for their eligibility requirements for reparations, Okay. The top two things for their program, number one, are an individual has to have, has asked to have identified as black or African-American on public documents for the last 10 years. Now, that sounds strange, right? You have to have identified as black or African-American on public documents for the last 10 years. And you have to be 18 years of old, 18 years of age or older. Now, that sounds easy. We can prove that, but let's go back to the comment I just made, okay? What the video illustrated that I could not show you that I will upload at some point is that the state of California removed race from birth certificates in 1979. I got to look at my screen because I want y'all to make sure that you know what I'm saying. If San Francisco, which sits in California has a program for reparations where they are saying that you have to prove that you are black on public documents for the last 10 years, and the state of California in which San Francisco sits in removed race from birth certificates in 1979, how do you prove you're black? How? So you're muted. 1952 birth certificate does not list my race. Listen, listen, it says 18 years of, of age or older. That means that individuals born in the year 2004 and or 2005 can apply for reparations in the state of, San, of, of California, California. And particularly in San Francisco. They cannot prove that they are black because they, if they were born in California, there is no race on their birth certificate. Mm -mm. Is there any qualifying what type of documents they will accept? Now, when we go further into the conversation, because people are probably going to think, oh, my gosh, how do you guys not have race? This is the, this is the state that is leading the way in reparations programs, right? Because the state is the first one to do at a state level to study, and then you have San Francisco who's going in and doing all that, right? Mm -hmm. It was not white folk 
who it was a black man who wrote the legislation to remove race from birth certificates. That's California, correct? Correct. It was Willie Brown. Willie did it. Willie Brown. Right. Who was the first black mayor of San Francisco. Because there were privacy concerns about information around the questions that were asked on birth certificates. And they debated for about eight months after he put the legislation up. And they made the form two parts, which it still exists in that way today, where the information regarding race and and stuff around uh, the birthing person and, and the amount of months that they carried the child and all that kind of stuff, it's on a separate form that is not identifiable. But your public birth certificate does not have race. So in and terms I of their – go ahead. Who's benefiting because of that? And it might not be the intent that Willie Brown had, but who benefits because that is the law now? Who really benefits from that? Even thinking, like you said, right now, somebody 18 years and older in California cannot say, and that's the qualifying document to say, what is your race? You know, you show your birth certificate. You know, will they accept other things coming to what Andre was saying? You know, will they accept other things? But the number one document is a birth certificate. And we don't know people today that don't even have birth certificates. So they're not. What was then the point of what San Francisco was trying to do? No. Well, we haven't haven't even. Right. We haven't even gotten to all the qualifications. What was then the point? If you can't have. Right. Right. If we haven't even. If there's a state law that's been in existence for 43, 44 years almost, mm-hmm. and you're now saying that, oh, well, you're now eligible for something, what was the daggone point in even doing something like that if you can't even get the primary? Listen, listen, listen we, let's have, let's no have a conversation about California. Let's have a conversation about California because I could talk about California because I'm born and raised in California because somebody and in the chat was like, <laughs> I'm dying laughing. She said she told her child to listen because he falls under this category. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. right, right. So here's the thing. If someone said, well, what about the parents? Again, the information around demographical information about the parents, that is on the separate form that is not identifiable, just so state vital statistics can have, right, things around fetal death and, and other stuff, so they can, they can still get those statistics. That stuff is on a form that is not identifiable. Now, before 1979, the race of the parents is documented, but after that, it is not, beginning in January of 1979. Now, to go back to San Francisco and their $5 million fund, the two required things are an individual has to be identified as black or African-American on public documents for at least 10 years. That means as of 2012, 2013, you have to be 18 years of age or older. Again, 2004, 2005, California birth index only goes to 1995. And I just told you there's no race on birth certificates after 1979. Okay. So let's go further. After you have those two requirements, you then must meet these other criteria. Born in San Francisco, between 1940 and 1996, going back to earlier conversation around organizing locally and people in the community having ancestors who were enslaved there, we're not factoring in the Great Migration, okay? So with this, they're saying, be born in San Francisco between 1940 and 1996, 
and, and have proof of residency for at least 13 years. Then, this is another, you have to, again, these are the requirements, you have to have two of these. Migrated to San Francisco between 1940 and 1996 and has proof of residency in San Francisco for 13 years. So either be born there in residency for 13 years or migrated there and have residency for 13 years. Then you personally, um, or you're the descendant of someone who was incarcerated by the war on drugs. Now let's go even deeper. Let's say your mother didn't put your father's name on your birth certificate. Mm -hmm. Let me keep going. War on drugs officially starts with the Nixon administration, June 18, 1971. So that's somebody who's about 51 years of age. For somebody who's 18, this could be a grandparent, potentially, right? Record of attendance in San Francisco public schools during the time of the consent decree to, to complete desegregation. The all-deliberate speed, remember Brown, everything didn't go into effect immediately, so then they had the all-deliberate speed. That was 1971, so this is, again, still a grandparent. What if you don't know your grandparents? Record of attendance, we've got that. Descendant of someone enslaved through U.S. chattel slavery, we've already qualified that for those of us who are grown, that's a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great or even potentially a six-time great-grandparent. Displaced or the direct descendant of someone displaced from San Francisco by urban renewal between 1954 and 1973. How do you prove that? Right. I'm going to keep going because I got a couple more. Listed or the direct descendant of, of a certificate of preference holder. These are people who got displaced due to redlining, and they, got, they have a certificate that allows them to have reduced rent in the city of San Francisco. And there is not really truly an effort made to find these folks, so there are not a lot of people on that list. And then lastly, member of a historically marginalized group that experienced Linden discrimination in San Francisco between 1937 and 1968, or subsequently experienced lending discrimination in formerly redlined San Francisco communities between 1968 and 2008. Who's going to have that paper? Who is going to have that paper? Here's the thing, okay? If a city is asking for this, we need to get it in your mind, folks, okay? Let this process. Right. Think about the train. And and you know, some folks argue right. Some folks argue that it is definitely exclusionary on purpose. Um, other folks say, oh, well, this is a great catch all for some folks. Either way, I think what this is going to do is it is going to inundate the school board. Why? Because the school board has records of your residency right. because you attended school. Mm-hmm. Does it have race? That was a question on the chat. Uh, yeah. Well, they probably do. Right. Yes. I would so, say so now, so are we hiring more people at the San Francisco Unified School District to handle all the influx of requests because that's the one-stop shop that you can corroborate all this information? Now, I'm giving this example on purpose because everyone is reacting emotionally to it. Even I, my volume, my energy has gone up. We are always emotional about this. And if you have not gone through the process of having to validate your family history through a lineage society or for citizenship in a Native American group where someone else is being brought in to scrutinize what you have found, I need you to get, before we even buy the train ticket, you need to know the destination. 
You need to know where we're going. For those of us who have done that, weigh in. Because you sometimes are ready to punch somebody in the face by the time the process is done because there's a lot of back and forth. What you see as proof is not what other people see as proof, y'all. Let's have this conversation because it's different. It's different when your legacy has been laid out for you for generations, where your grandmother was in DAR, you have a family history book or other stuff. It's different because the red carpet is there as opposed to you being the one that has to go through the scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, let me stop talking because I want to hear what y'all got to say about this. Sounds like um, we just I'd like to speak to the DAR thing. Um, I mean, to me, that's been like my biggest headache. Um, not necessarily because I feel like I have to be a member. I just feel like it's my right. And I feel like they don't do enough. Um, you know, they don't, I mean, we all know, you know, just, just the history of slavery and that, you know, we can't make, turn everything into a fantasy. You know, our ancestors were raped. A lot of us are products by of race, you know? And they have to reckon with that, you know, that a lot of us don't have that documentation. We have DNA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have the wills that show that our ancestors were enslaved there, you know. So, I mean, that's one of the things. And it does get disheartening at times to where you're like, well, the hell with that. You know, this white supremacist culture wasn't meant for us to be in there anyway. But then there's this part of me that's like, how dare you say I can't? So for me, I'm going to keep trying, <laughs> and I'm going to keep going. That's why I'm in I'm going to tell you, it, you know, I get in a rage sometimes, so please excuse me if I feel, you know, passionate. But it's just, you know, it's like, how dare you tell me? You know, even in the case of, you know, reparations, you know, just think of, of how, I mean, I know in the African-American community, you know, we're serious about oral history. You can never discount that. So how are you going to tell me that what my grandmama said wasn't true, especially when I can back this up with DNA evidence, you know? So just emotion, uh, just that, knowing, you know, my grandma wasn't a liar. You know what I'm saying? And just that. It's, it's just, Listen, you are over here. This is the point I'm making. You <laughs> called my grandmama a lie. Can we have a conversation about that? Because, folks, we are, this is emotional for us. This is on its face. It is emotional. It is, it's a level of scrutiny that we are not at this point. We can't even get people to go online and just search for their enslaved ancestors. And now we're telling them to put up what they found in front of random people that they do not know, who have no connection to them, who do not or may not truly understand the visceral reactions that we all have around enslavement. We're then asking them to put this up in front of these people. And some don't care. Listen, I need y'all to get this tonight. Y'all know I love California. That's my that's my boo. I was raised in the South. I was, you know, raised up again in the north part of the state. But if the state that is leading the way has these issues, they y'all, y'all. We we But Nika, isn't it something dressed up just differently, but it's some same almost curse. That, 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 that Nika still dressed up. 
they dressed up, it's dressed up a little differently on where we're at, but it's not anything we have not seen before and not dealt with before. It's so much unfinished business, and then there's so much business. And and you're talking about coming back to what, you know, Reese's saying, I joined DAR because they said no. And and it was because they denied black women at one time. And because I could get in and did the work that Nika talked about, I did it. I don't have grandchildren leave that legacy, but I sure got first cousins that have children that can possibly get in there. Because they said no and denied. That what plus I do like the mission and stuff, but I'm just saying I have a right to be there. No doubt. Call it whatever it is. Got a right to be there. Ellen and, and, and True. Go ahead. I was gonna say Ellen and True. Um and then we also have Teresa who's here. Um she she wants to throw in her comment, but uh Teresa, we'll have you go first and then Ellen and True. What would you what do you want to say, Teresa? I- well, I'm sitting here, I got a lot to say, but piggybacking off of Reese, I, I struggle with um reparations in that I have anywhere from third great grandparents who were uh fathered by enslavers all the way to going back to ninth great grandparents. So it's a lot. And to me the whole issue of reparations seems in my gut reaction if you're uh, if I'm dealing with my true feelings, it, it seems like blood money. And, and I just say that because there are just some things that you cannot buy. Money can't buy a lot of things. It can't buy what my female ancestors endured. It can't buy the loss of culture, family. Can't, it just can't buy all of that. So I grapple with that. But I'm also in the process for years, I... I held off on applying to any lineal um, organization because I just did not see the worth of it. But I am in the process of applying for um, DAR membership under my fifth great-grandfather. And we got kicked back the first time with, um, you know, more questions. Uh, Where was he between the Revolutionary War or before up until – 1790 and I'm saying do you really think I'm going to find like a birth certificate you know and then you know in order to prove him I have to go through the enslaver as if and and I have feelings about that you know um yeah we'll probably get it eventually but he's still being defined through the enslaver and I grapple with you know um you know, he had a life, he had a history, and these are lost records, and it's a struggle. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Teresa. And there's um, a conversation in the chat right now. Um, what we're having a conversation with in terms of just programs or eligibility requirements is only what San Francisco has put out, right. okay? That's only San Francisco. I, I mentioned that when we were reading through it. I said it was San Francisco. Now, there's San Francisco has a $5 million plan. The state of California has their own separate task force is doing something else. But the point still stands. This is one of the first times we've actually seen a list of potential requirements. This is a draft list. 
And if the state, if a city in a state that is leading the way has this, and we have to factor in what documents say in that respective state, it is not misinformation because we have to be prepared. We are the genealogists in our family. When I saw this list of eligibility requirements, I thought about the scores of my own family members that were born in San Francisco who should qualify and who this should be easy for, and it was not easy for them, even though we have a 600-page family history book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mm. Don't you get just uncomfortable feelings on some of this? I mean, you, you, I know, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, because they you throw, know they're not going to be it's it's going to be a, a bunch of bull. Isn't it any different like than the, said, phone, the voting it's act? Be, it's never going to come to fruition. I think it's it's going to be, you know, in the form of reparations. I'm with you, Shelley. Change the laws, change policy. You know, well, we also got to get the people that are in out. Ellen, what right. you have to say? Come off mute for me. Go ahead, Ellen, and True. It's just uh, when I looked at the preliminary recommendations for future deliberations, which is like three pages long, what I was really struck by was how well this thing summed up all of the different kinds of situations that people have found themselves in, and it falls in between those. The yeah. paperwork, um, enslavement, racial terror, political disenfranchisement, um, housing segregation, separate and unequal education, racism and environment and infrastructure, pathologizing black families, um, control over creative cultural intellectual life, stolen labor and hindered opportunity, an unjust legal system, mental and physical harm and neglect. I mean, the wealth gap, and then it ends up with proposing a California African-American Freedmen Affairs Agency. But um, I was just struck by how much stuff families have had to go through. And the way this, it just lays it out really beautifully. I don't know how that's going to translate into people saying, this is me. This is my family. This is why we are here. Right, right. But um, but it's a start. There's going to be something. I don't know what it's going to look like. That's the point the I'm making. But mm-hmm. I had a lot of hope after I watched the um, – I had some hope after watching the thing on Evanston. You know? Oh, you're talking about uh, the, the big, big payback. payout. Right. The big there's payback. A, yeah. right. There's a documentary. Um, it, I think it premiered at Tribeca Film Festival that's also on Independent Lens on PBS called The Big Payback that really closely follows the situation in Evanston. Because uh, there's there are folks in the chat room saying this is just California again. We have to be it's prepared it, it, because the standards are going to be different everywhere because there's no federal program. For instance, for Evanston, if you go on their website, they talk about to require and for them it's restorative. It's a restorative housing right. program. It's not a blank check that you can use wherever you want. It's just about housing. They have to fit three categories in Evanston. Residents who lived in the city between 1919 and 1969 who were referred to as ancestors, direct descendants of a black resident from 1919 to 1969, residents who, su- who submitted evidence they suffered from housing discrimination due to the city's policies or practices after 1969. And then they, in this scenario with Evanston, they ended up creating um, a partnership with the library there to help residents, especially elders, locate documents proving residency between 1919 and 1969, and, but the application window was closed. 
So then you have to wonder, again, not everybody is going to be right. accounted for, right? Mm-hmm. While California took the care, laid out the stuff at the state level, made it very clear and obvious, and again, that office of, uh, what is it, genealogical affairs or whatever it's called, I know I'm giving it the wrong name, whatever that is, right? That's supposed to be there. But we know a change in administration can change all of oh, this. Yeah. The bar is always being moved. Or right. Gavin Newsom's out there. are going right. to follow. Correct. Um, first yeah. step Correct. out first is basically laying the ground rules, per se, or giving an example of a base or a foundation for the other states to follow. Everybody is watching California in the whole, like you said, you mentioned Evanston and stuff like that, but they're watching them. And and I guarantee you people that are out, there are people from, say, Virginia that are sitting there in that room with the California people, and they're picking up and coming back, reporting back and everything. So, again, what Florida's doing, on other things, it's going to happen in other places. And, and again, yeah. where are we at, huh? I was going to, that's going to be the point. Like you say that people are going to follow. Conversely, people are going to figure out how to deter and stop. I hope so. I hope so. You know, a lot of these actions because you have the folks who continue to want to be in denial about these things and don't want to do anything about and it. And there's more of them than there are us. Well, that's a whole nother conversation too. No, I'm just saying. But no, but that, but that's the reality. Yeah. And so, in same yeah. way, like okay, we're saying like, oh, folks are looking at California. They're looking at California for both. How can we move this forward? And how can we can not we stop have it? This? Can we stop it? Yeah. 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 Right. So that so now let's have a broad conversation because here we are showing up in the space as the genealogist and the family historian. And one of the things that I'm acutely aware of is how territorial people are in this space around their research, how they have derived um, their sense of self-worth from the genealogy that they have been able to put together and that they not, they willingly do not share with their family members. So when we have conversations again about organizing, I'm thinking about all the scores of folks that I personally have encountered within the organizations that potentially could be advocating for this at a national scale where there are a bunch of folks who are hoarding and they will not share. Mm-hmm. So this again, how do we eat the elf, how do we eat the, the 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 you know the the football field full of elephants? How how does that work? It, again, elephant on, and we talking about eating elephants. Again, it's just it's a euphemism, right? How do you eat elephants a little bit at a time? No, no, exactly. And and the thing of it is, the deterring things, we really haven't gotten there yet. That that because the foundation or the points and the stuff you talked about, just look at California. That's just one place. But when it really starts rolling a little more, then you're going to see the deterrence coming up even more. That's a start. It, it, you know, that's a start. And these couple states are going to have that start on everyone else. But what works for California ain't going to work in Virginia. Or it ain't going to work. And I know my English is bad and it's not going to work in Florida because of who's there and who's in control and what majority is there. So I think we just have to have more 
it's almost getting impatient. I'm getting impatient because you live through these changes all the time, and it keeps changing, and you guys just reference it, a change of administration. But that's what we also saw from 1619 coming forward. There was a law put in every time there was a different situation. So it only benefited certain people. And we're in that same cycle again. Hey, Robin. Robin, what would you like to say? Hi. And this is such a great discussion. Um, but I appreciate you all uplifting something that I hadn't thought about until this conversation is the complexities of the emotions that come along with this. Because I think about people that I'm like, oh, you should do your genealogy or, oh, where are your people from? And there's a sense of shame. Like some people aren't really interested in doing their genealogy or they have, you know, complicated feelings about being a descendant of enslaved people. So what happens if there is some type of reparations policy, all of a sudden they're going to become suddenly interested in that. Like it just feels like there's already so much of a powder keg of complicated emotions for some people who are not even really interested in it right now. And I just wonder what happens, you know, if they have to research it for monetary gain, just what other emotions will come up. So I just really appreciate you all bringing up that complex issue. Thank you. Because I sure do think about that when um, I'm talking to my family and it's like, oh, well, I don't care about all that research. I'm black and that's all that needs to be said. Or, you know, and then they're going to come to me or, you know, whoever it is. So I kind of get what Robin is saying about that because I got into um, some heated discussions with family members over things like that when it comes to reparations. And I just, it's, it is a, it is a keg, a keg powder of emotions. And I still don't, I don't know what it looks like. I just don't know what it's going to look like. I think like. about all those ancestors that want to talk about it. But yeah, I didn't want to just. I know I'm going to try to fear. lead the way at least, you know, with my own branch, because yeah. I still feel there is something there that I feel like I want to give and tribute to them. That's going to benefit people, my grandbabies that I'm not going to even see, but they are they'll be coming. But I just don't know what it. I just really don't know what it looks like. I always say that I don't know what it looks like, but I know it's coming and it's going yeah. to be something. But you know, we've been through this with, like Tika said, her book, our documentaries, all the lineage societies we've joined. We're we're putting in the work, regardless. Right, and 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 contrary to there are new people in the chat room who seem to think that we have shame around this. We've spent a hundred and thirty plus episodes not having shame. So if this is the first time you've watched us, I need you to go back and get your context before you make statements on who we are and what we do. Um, because that's not this space. It never has been. What I think, though, is, is, is that needs to be added um, as, an, as an aside to this conversation around the emotions and um, how segments of our population do not engage with this. Um, I think some of that, the onus is in popular culture and how discussions of enslavement have taken place and how it has been presented. I think it's generational. I think there are a lot of young people who are learning about um, enslavement and who are learning about um, the, the story of African-Americans as a result of uh, through social media. They're learning this, the positive stories. They're learning the negative stories. They're learning a lot more nuance, but also at the same time, there's a lot of misinformation that's out there as well. And people are, are getting pulpits 
um, who have not had the experience that we have had in mm-hmm. literally being in the records, going into those courthouses, interviewing family members when nobody was paying attention. The, I'm, I'm preaching to everybody who was a usual watcher of this show. We are not Johnny come latelys in this space. Um, we are not individuals who just decided one day we're just going to start getting on YouTube talking about this. We probably have more than 100 years of genealogical research experience just sitting on this panel alone. And we, we're, we're trying to enable you all to be very wise to talk to your families about this. Mm-hmm. Right. Remove the dollar value or compensation component. Just coming. We need to we need to we need to step back and just really 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 come in at the ground floor on this um, and not assume that everybody is on the same stair as us. Um, there was a wonderful point made in the chat. Um, I think Shelby Cowan mentioned it that when the U.S. Color Troops which numbered almost 180,000 men who fought in the Civil War to ensure our freedom and the 13th Amendment and all the other things. When they applied for pensions, and let's say they died and their wife and their children needed to get the pension, they had to provide a proof of marriage. This is a very important point to bring up is that the paper trail and what is being considered valid or, or uh, what is considered sound has been a challenge for us from the get-go. It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to even trace enslavement is because, right. right. And so if we, walk, if we know that as genealogists, y'all, mm-hmm. what are we, you got to meet the needs of your individual family. And in some instances for us, individual communities where Reese may be called to organize in a community fashion, others of us may have to advocate in other ways, but you have to find your individual voice in this. And just like Sully said, from state to state, it's not going to be the same. What other things do you all feel like people can do? Individuals. Because I I personally, again, if y'all want to talk organizing, you can, but I feel like this has got to be individual. We are talking to the genealogists, to the family historians right now about what we can do in our own families. What what can we do? Well, well the I first thing they need to um, step up and include their family with what they're doing and, and let them know. And I would say that would be first, start talking. Yeah. And another thing Sorry. as genealogists, we can't be hoarders of information. Right. And we can't all, you know, I mean, we can't be the ones, you know, the look what I found type of people. You know what I'm saying? Um, create family groups for all lines of your family on social media and invite all the descendants, you know, and share this information. You know, share this information with your family. Do presentations at your family, you know, reunion. Um, make family history books for your family. I know, you know, personally, anybody that wants to print out someone sends me a message every other day Um, because I research for everybody around here. I'll send them whatever I have on their ancestors. I mean, you know, we just have to share this information and um, we can't put a monetary value on everything. You know, now I'm one of those people, you know, you can't do everything for free because it's, it's time is money, you know, 
But in the case of this, I mean, you know, we should want all of everybody to know. You know, it's just with us, it's just the fact of knowing, you know, and um, that's what we should be most concerned about, you know. Um, I think the people that we, you know, we should be taxing, you know, we don't because we want to be out in front, you know. But, you know, tax those people where you live that know that you're a historian and a genealogist that call you and ask you to pick your brain or get some free consulting work, you know, tax those people, you know, but we should, you know, want to share this information and share it freely because everybody has a right to know. And like you said, everybody don't have access, you know, and everybody just does don't even know how to start. You know, they don't even have a desire. They just want the information, you know, so they know. So that's all I got to say about that. Y'all know I'll keep rambling and going on and on about something, something else. <laughs> Andre? Uh, it's, there is so much that we could do. Um, I think we have to get our own way and we have to get our own feelings about a lot of this, you know, we've talked about, you know, family trees and all this other stuff like that, but we have to make sure that we are prepared to do the journey. And I don't think we don't talk about that part. Like we, like I've, I've been in enough sessions where we've talked about the emotional side of genealogy and stuff like that. And so I've learned how to work through my emotions about winning, finding information about my enslaved ancestors and who they were enslaved by, but there are to go to that next step. Like I am sitting here challenged on what does that mean for me? And how do I in some ways get out of my own way of wanting to enlarge my voice in a space about this? Because many of us have done this for as a passion we're not getting paid for it. We just do this because we want to know. And so this is challenging me to really think about how do I change my own thinking about this? You know, how do we, you know, say, okay, you know what? It's not about me. How do I do this? And who do I get to help me do this? If that is a, if there is someone. You know what, you raised a really good point that I think a lot of us do not think about is a succession plan. I'm trying right now for one. <laughs> right. Trying. And, and you might have to leave the confines of your immediate family to have a succession plan because we can't assume, for some of us, these programs are not going to happen in our lifetimes. No. So this goes back into, you know, some of those presentations we've seen people do around, like, where does your research go when you die? Or, like, who's got access to it? And, and this is a family project. Um, because here's the thing. If I just think about my ancestors and the fact that they come from four different states, there could be four different programs yeah. that I have different qualifications that I have to apply for. And that's not even including the state that I'm from. What other this things can we do? Be, this is going to be huge. It is going to be huge. And we're, I think we're doing, we're doing our part to, to help lead the way. But I think I'm just, I'm left 
after tonight's conversation, I don't necessarily know what I what intentions I had on how I was going to feel at the end of it, but I got to process a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really, really do, and and I think I'm glad we stopped the conversation around checks and 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 you know again. Uh, because we don't know. I mean, like you said, I don't know what that's going to look like for my family and what they want. So we've started these conversations. Your family reunions are coming up this summer. Maybe you need to share this episode with them to try to get the conversation. Sure. No. Because uh, we're in this for the long haul. And like I say, I always say my truth does not work alone. My, and my family knows that Nika's family knows that everybody here on this panel and you have to work from that angle and go you know spread it out we're all in this together I mean because it gets tight it just happened to me last night for instance and Nika had to help me out someone really thought somebody's middle name was such and such and there we go well how did you know it was Arthur Glenn well here's the document that shows you right they thought it was elderly, and this lady is almost close in her late 80s, and they never knew. Well, why didn't y'all tell us? Well, we got it in the Facebook group. I, I post huh? something weekly, monthly, just to get them you know, like, you know, acclimated to this is what our family does for our history that Aunt Bunny and them started in 74. So. I have so many things on my blog. Everybody here has a blog on Twitter. We have so many things going on that you can learn and, and, and see what we what we've done. And it's and it's work. There's six people here that has testimonies about how what we're doing and, and it and it worked the right way. We did we've made mistakes, but you can see the pattern of how we got where we're at. And everybody out there can get there too with their family, but somebody has to take that first step. I, I would also add as well, um, there's there's a, a person in the chat who mentioned that because of thinking about this process, they've had to go on a journey to track down a parent that they had no intentions on tracking down, but had to right, they had to go there. Again, I wish it was as easy as a memo field, a signature, and a pay to the order of. Mm-hmm. It is not that simple, y'all. But even there are in that situation, though, even in that particular situation, you mentioned that there are, think about the millions of, of women, unfortunately, who did not list their child's father. the emotion of there is a come to Jesus meeting that they need to have themselves about what they were doing at the time of conception. And that is a hard pill that a lot of folks are going to have to swallow because you've now denied your children potentially valuable information that could lead to some type of a benefit, whatever that benefit is. And, again, we have to get out of our own way. And that is a big, I got to get out of my own way. Um, Teresa, Teresa put in the chat or listed the wrong father. Because, see, here's the thing. Well, if well that's you. If, listen, well, hey, that some father didn't know hey. who the, no, the no. father was. Hey. Remember Ooh. that? What I thought you Yes, listen. 
but that's but, daddy, but again that's 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 the reality but and but so, here's the thing here's the thing though if you do lineage research they ain't asking for dna so it don't matter if the daddy wrong you just need a daddy you just need a I daddy hope, with a piece of paper I hope to y'all back it heard up. me. Right. All you need is a daddy and a piece of paper. Are we gaming the people up right now? Don't Even if the daddy is wrong. <laughs> Even if the daddy is wrong. If you have been consistent about how you've listed daddy. He your daddy. He's he your, your daddy. daddy on paper. He your daddy today. He may be not your Paul, Paul, not Paul t- any other time. But Listen, he your daddy today. He right, is today. The genetic tree and the actual paper family tree, as much as we want them to align, they no. don't always have to do that, no. and they don't always do that. And so, I just still have to say some women didn't know, and that's listen, why they put or, unknown. That is that, or Whatever I mean, that situation is, right. well, and, and they right. did not know. About that. It's not even right. a potential, but there is a place of reckoning oh yeah that has to occur that and, will occur <laughs> well i mean multiple we have to see what, what verb we're going to use yeah <laughs> but when we're looking at these types of programs as we're looking at as we are building our family trees how many times have we all been in a situation where someone's reaching out to you saying hey i'm trying we're we're dna we're genetically connected and I'm trying to find X, Y, and Z, or I'm trying to find this parent, and I ha- and you go into their tree, and there's a whole side blocked off. And yeah. nine times out of ten, it's the one side that you probably are connected to. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Points are being made. Look, look, you over here, you over here tap dancing in the land in the land of genealogical eyes right now. Uh, Huh? Right. So the great. Right. So you want me to be the great and powerful Oz? And I can't make this type of magic. You can't win. You can't get even if you can't get out of the game. Um, we ha- we we had we had to have a moment of levity. We've been talking about some really heavy stuff all night, and we have not cut up not even one time. No, but you're not, Nika. <laughs> thank you for this, because you know what? Even yeah. though we got the 130 episodes or exposure to other discussions we had, this one needed to come back out and resurface and kicking it off. Because you know what? Next week, some of the folks that are here, this will go right on by them. Some of the folks are in that drawer right now or in that folder or in that box. Look <laughs> right now. And other ones are on the computer on the side hitting them death faces. So and and you know, we're here being supportive as well. Because a lot of us have been through different experiences of those lineage societies and whatever it is, or just finding you. You know, and it don't even have to be a society. Or maybe you've got new information. I'm finding new lines, and it's like, where did these people come from? And and put it this way, it ain't no 10 centimorgan worth of DNA. This is like almost 200 centimorgan. 
Who are wait these a minute, hold on, Shelly. Shelly, wait a minute. That's right. Real, that's real relationship. Hey, listen, listen. That's real and, relationship. And, and, right, it is. And I'm like, wait that's a minute. That's close. Andre right. over here wearing green like the great powerful Oz. You probably need to ask him. Maybe you need to touch the hem of his garment. Garment. Oh, great powerful Oz. <laughs> Can you tell me who this two, two other Cinder Morgan DNA match is? Please. Who got a baby out of wedlock? I mean, it's... it's oh, who was out here reckless like... Like I got. We don't I gotta, know the situation. The DNA. We don't know. You got a reckless situation of. I think this person had an extra child, and he don't know that this chick that he was kicking it with had a baby that ended up being his. But now I, I got know. a grandson that's like about four hundred centimorgans. Mm-hmm. I'm like a second cousin. It's a new great grandfather that wasn't one who we thought it was. Oh, oh I'm not doing it. I know some, I got a case that I am convinced at this point that my great uncle had one more kid. You know what now? Did not know about. And no, this no, one, no. one more kid that he didn't one know more. about. And this grandson popped up did know. my DNA. If you had sex. There can be a baby. There she goes. Okay, yeah, she yeah, goes. Yeah. That, 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 Don't that, even that, try that, to make sure. no excuse. You got to say memory, Shelly. Memory. Shelly. Memory. Look, she's going to start talking about the sperm. Shelly is, is coming. No, <laughs> no DNA <laughs> sperm trees or none of that. I'm just saying. You know, people are going to have sex. Pop up. They don't like when these new babies pop up. No, but, but, here, but, but hey, hey. But hey, it happens to bring, to bring the conversation back home. Yeah. Uh-huh. What is written down? Really and for some of us, hear me, hear me out. For some of us, you gonna have the official family history, and you gonna have the unabridged version. Yeah. And you got to come to terms because again, when these papers start flying, and the people need the evidence. Yes. If you have made yourself the person that is the custodian of this information and you want them to trust what you have, <laughs> you are going to be the one who is going to be scrutinized You're when they start right applying. The door. Yes. Come on now. Just like listen, they do for medical listen, information. Listen, listen, I'm, for this too. listen I'm, but the point I'm making is adjacent to that. Mm-hmm. If we are telling people to be the beacon for their family to get this information out, and their family comes to them and then uses that information, and then it is scrutinized, the family is going to come back to that person when questions arise or when challenges are made. Yes. Yeah. Make sure your stuff is right. Just went through it last night, but the binder is full of ancestors. <laughs> it makes you mad. It'll make you mad, though. It'll, that's my point. Is that you know, got, how did you get this result? Listen, I'm like, telling well, y'all. Thanks you want to thank. You know, his listen, name is James. Okay, it's James. I'm telling y'all, this is why we're having this conversation. Because you've that. got yeah. to be prepared. They're going to come back to you. Yeah. Well, and you are, you are going to turn. Me. Hold on. You are going to turn into the San Francisco Unified School District. Just like I brought that up earlier with the yeah. proof of residency and race. You are going to be that for me. You are going to be the call center. And when you started and you went just accepting him, anything that flew in the head, you just add, 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 add. And that's the information you're sending to people? But I'm accepting that role, though. Listen, you, you need to accept responsibility 
for if you put that out there and they use it, you are the call center, which means you've got to reckon with all the emotions, the conversations, your phone, your text blowing up. I'm trying to warn y'all. I'm trying to empower you to understand. Maybe, maybe right. some of us need. Maybe some of us need to take a step back and say, you know what? I ain't ready to be command central yet. Maybe, I, maybe I need to cordon off my part of the football field with the elephant. Maybe we only got the end zone as opposed to the end zone to the 50th line, 50 yard line. The whole catching what I'm throwing. You're right on point. They come and 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 I equate whatever the states are going to do, if there is reparations, not. If there is, if you can prove you're a descendant or not. Well, they threw that in my court right now. I'm the only one doing it besides individual families. But as far as the institution, they have someone that's banking that information. That's why I just like what I posted on there. Just on my yeah, own. Yeah, well, yeah, Shelly, Shelly's tree got 44,000 yes. hints. It got yeah, 44,000 hints. Because I don't use them. I don't but, use but the, them. I don't use them. But here's the thing for yeah. some of us, that's the only thing we have. I haven't been seeing them except for the census ma'am, and the location. Ma'am, ma'am go, back, go back to the train. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got a ticket? I got first class. You got a I'm ticket. I'm letting you know. You I got, got a ticket class. to ride. Yeah. But me and Truth and Andre, we ain't got a ticket. We ain't got a ticket. I got we a ain't got a ticket to ride. Come on. Well, Come me on. Me better get ready because the train are coming. So, listen. <laughs> so, so but no, that, I think that's with. the other point, though. Like, you have, we don't, we don't have time to go into the conversation about Wait a minute. The, the way that hand went up, I you know what's it. coming. I know what's coming. Hold on, let me let me spotlight him because I know what's coming. Here we go. Let <laughs> him have the whole screen. Yeah. <laughs> I need people to understand, and we got to be ready to challenge these. Let me find my folks. before folks. these folks who are doing all of these links and all these accepting hints and really being able and being comfortable. Of challenging saying your tree is trash. <laughs> your tree is hot garbage. But then it also brings up another question of do we, as some of us are quote unquote, we they have gone through educational processes to become licensed genealogists and professionals and they've gone through he all said these things. Some type of certification program. Yeah. Yeah. And, Right. But, but even that is reading. Like, right. we got to sure we're we teaching these folks right. how to do the certificate this. of attendance. <laughs> Which is bad. All right. Are we going for like, a participation rule? Get like, I just, I, That's the part that's going to video off. off. What does that look like? Certification. But that's the thing. Certification. People don't realize that. Listen, listen, folks are, are threatening fisticuffs if people try to come for them and they research. Again, y'all, we have to be prepared for if our stuff is not up to snuff. That part. Even those of us who have been in this for a long time, because when you are learned in your own family, when you are the institutional expert, a lot of times you may not see certain things that other people see. I'm, I'm trying to game y'all 
up, I'm telling you, because even though I had the paper trail, I still went through it. Mm-hmm. And even with the paper trail. You missed something. And you still right. you missed something. Right. And you still, and, and it, you start questioning yourself. You start questioning your research skills. You start doing I all the stuff. So just, right, so just imagine, again, if you yes. make yourself command central for your family, you are going to have to answer. Mm-hmm. And some of us may not want to be, we, we got to be real. We may not want to put ourselves in, in that scenario. I just have one last thing to say, and I, y'all are going to die laughing when you hear this, or you're going to be shocked. If you're not, if you are not uh, following the channel on YouTube, but the chair of the California State Reparations Task Force has been watching this entire episode. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But she says she's learned a lot, so that's I good. Know. So thank well, you. Yeah, we do this every day, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being there. Oh, thanks for coming. Thank right, day. thanks for coming and listening and entertaining yourself thanks for, for the last. Coming. Right for the last, I don't know. But how I hope long. there's um, things to take away for them. Right, right, and thank you, thank yeah. you, Chris, for inviting her, um, for her to be here and listen to us act crazy and do things in genealogy. If you I need have me, to correct out. my stuff. It's uh, right. 35,379 right. hints, but there's 24,534 records. But that's that I'm tells saying. you right there. That's why those things are sitting there because it's like, where did they find this at? <laughs> you know. Well, but I mean, there's a number of factors, just like how, again, I, and this is, I'll, I'll leave the conversation on this. People are freaked out about AI and things like ChatGPT, right, where you can go in and ask a computer questions to fill out sure. um, a number of different things. And one of the aspects of it, again, this is this is our world. It's how if you, I use this as an example today in a presentation that I gave, if you go on Google and you say, is Rihanna, it's going to fill in with dot, 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 dot. No, y'all fill in what is, is Rihanna pregnant. Pregnant. <laughs> I was waiting for y'all pregnant. to the second baby. With child. Having a baby. Right. Did she just have one? Right, right. Is Did she, she rub her belly? Did she right. do this? Did she? Right. <laughs> But Google is going to know, based on the number of people who have gone into search for that term, it's going to trend, okay? It's the same thing that how these genealogy websites work, whether it's family search, whether it's MyHeritage, whether it's Ancestry. It's based on the number of factors. So the things only improve based on what we put into it. Yes. Uh-oh. Listen, okay? So with that said, those of us that have private trees, consider <laughs> making them private and searchable so other people can connect to you and find your research. For those of us that are researching communities and you don't have your tree online, consider putting it online to help the folks in your community. Or yeah. you need to understand the level at which you are providing access, which means that if you don't put it online, people are going to have to come to you directly for all the information. And do you want to manage that? The other aspect of this is we just, we got to stop playing in U-shapes and, and, and it's Punnett squares on Zoom, y'all. It, it, it's literally... Do you want to be Patrick Mahomes or do you want to be Jalen Hurts? Oh, I'm Mahomes. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. 
So I I'm gonna go for the one who's going. Everybody's hands go up. <laughs> true missed it. She missed it. True, true ain't taking it because uh, we we hurt we hurt, but but we we keeping it moving for the right. long the long haul. Y'all hurt, right? Right. <laughs> right, right. So thank you, panel, for your time. Uh, it's been a waiting conversation. We are looking into maybe doing this a few more times. What are we thinking? I don't know. We'll, we'll surprise something. We'll, we'll, we'll come see. Something we'll see. We'll come back around. But thank you all um, so much for joining us for this evening. Um, we are so glad that you were here. Um, and, yeah, this was a needed conversation. We love you guys. Take care. Please be sure to... Um, have all the fun in the world during your Black History Month. Be black. Be whatever you want to be What's during left? this month. Right, right. Every month I, since we got 28 <laughs> days. Right, right, because every bit of my blackness is drawn out during this month. God help <laughs> Um All of my 75%. Definitely reach out to all of us uh, at Family Tree Girl, at EF Saco. Uh, Reese, what's your, Reese too? What's your handle on Twitter? I can't remember, girl. Um, Oh gosh, I don't even know. Wait a minute. <laughs> what I'm sitting in Reese's something. Hold on. You don't know. Sure. Yeah, I don't know Andre's either. It might be Reese. at Reese to you. It That's might what be I think that. it is. Yeah. Right. And my true roots is, is chewing. Thank you for holding it down. Andre, also known as the, the master of Oz, the Wizard of Oz for tonight. Yeah. Um any any last thoughts before we close on out? I just want to thank everybody for coming out and, and getting your pop alert and we appreciate it and we were just so glad to see you all and rewatch this and get some takeaways from it. Ellen, thoughts? Yeah, you're on mute. Uh, just, um, just grateful for the conversation, you know. I think there's more, more to come. This is just going to keep expanding with time. I, even as much as people are going to try to shut it down, there, there's, there's too many people, there's too, many, too many aspects of it. It's going to be a long haul, but I will work out. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little too optimistic. It's for the long haul. I don't think there's anything wrong with optimism, but I think of being realist and practical. Is the long because right. gotta have that optimism, but again, the whole point for me for takeaway, y'all better get ready. Be ready. <laughs> get ready. Was in there, I saw the trains were coming. Be get ready. There you go. Summon. Why do I get summoned for all the songs? <laughs> you should have been explaining that. Just get on board. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thank y'all. You. Good night. Get ready. Thank get ready. You. Get ready. Love you guys. Coming up on the American Black Journal, reparations for African Americans is a topic we have been talking about for decades. My special panel of guests will give their perspectives on the black descendants of enslaved people and the survivors of discrimination. Plus, we'll talk about what to expect from Detroit's task force on reparations that voters approved in the last election. It's an important topic. Stay right there. American Black Journal starts now.
From Delta Faucets to Bare Paint, Masco Corporation is proud to deliver products that enhance the way consumers all over the world experience and enjoy their living spaces. Masco, serving Michigan communities since 1929. Support also provided by the Cynthia Arts Award Fund for Journalism at Detroit Public TV. The DTE Foundation proudly supports 50 years of American Black Journal in covering African American history, culture, and politics. The DTE Foundation and American Black Journal, partners in presenting African American perspectives about our communities and in our world. Also brought to you by AAA, Nissan Foundation, and viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to American Black Journal. I'm Stephen Henderson. Reparations, what is owed to black Americans? That's the question we recently tackled on a virtual town hall hosted by American Black Journal and Bridge Detroit. It was an emotional discussion that covered reparations for discriminatory housing and economic practices in Detroit and as a way to close the wealth gap between whites and blacks. We also talked about what form reparations should take and who should receive them. Today, we're bringing you a portion of that town hall that features civil rights activists, Reverend Dr. Joanne Watson, Lauren Hood, who's chair of the Detroit Planning Commission, Keith Williams, who's chair of the Michigan Democratic Party's Black Caucus, and Andre Perry, senior fellow at the Brookings Institute. So based on your research and, of course, on your opinion, uh, tell us, why do African Americans need reparations? If we don't do that, what is the, the, the likelihood that we solve the inequality that we all live in? Well, our inability to pay the unpaid debt is still with us, that the racial wealth divide where we see white families median wealth eight times that of black families is a direct result of the systemic uh, um, exclusion of assets or uh, subsidies that we are owed. Um, and this continues to this day. Um, in addition, the, the sort of framework, if you will, of denying um, African American uh, public subsidies that they, that other populations enjoy was taken up in in, in different ways in um, more contemporary contexts. Um, so you have housing discrimination, you have criminal justice um, bias, um, you have uh, business discrimination. Um, all of these follow a certain path of, uh, of, of that 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 uh, black people were denied. Um, um, what they are due. And, and so um, there's a real cost um, that black people still have to pay, a real penalty. You know, my research shows that homes in black neighborhoods um, um, compared to areas where there are few black people in them are underpriced by 23%, about $48,000 per home. Cumulatively, that's about 156 million in lost equity in black neighborhoods, and, and, and this is particularly true 
in in Detroit, where one, where so many black people used to own homes but could not hold on to them because of the, the, the housing crisis. And, and let me just bring this back to wealth. When you have less wealth, it's harder to withstand the economic shock that inevitably occurs. The those who had wealth could survive the housing crisis better. Those who had wealth could survive the pandemic, can, um, can um, withstand uh, um, environmental hurdles. And so that lack of wealth um, really predicts for lower outcomes um, in every other area. So, you know, this is an issue that has not gone away. People say, oh, I didn't own any slaves. Well, um, the impact of slavery, the impact of Jim Crow racism, the impact of housing discrimination is still with us. And by the way, we're not asking uh, uh, individuals to pay for pay reparations. We're asking the federal government, state governments, local municipalities to pay, and also institutions because um, we can't let them off the hook. So colleges, universities, universities churches. Um, so I'm encouraged by what's happening all across the country with these local efforts, but um, we, um, hopefully they will move up to the national level. Yeah. So, so I want to talk about the practical end of this with you uh, as well, um, the form of reparations. So you just threw out a number, uh, $156 billion, that gap between uh, what uh, white families in America have been able to, to earn through property ownership and what, what African-Americans have been able to do. That's a, I mean, it's a huge number, um, but we throw huge numbers all the time yeah. <laughs> out with, with, with federal spending. But, but what is the way, what is the way to make up that gap? Is it through some sort of payment or is, is there a more creative uh, spectrum of things that we ought to be thinking about to, to make that number go away? Well, remember, reparations is, is mostly about the claims people can have around um, systemic oppression. So there are different types of claims made. So when you're talking about slavery and unpaid labor, you, you're talking about a check. When you're talking about housing discrimination, you're talking about down payment assistance and and the like. Um, and, and, you know, so it really depends on the claim. You know, my colleague Rashawn Ray and I put out a report not that long ago um, where we outline a, a series of steps, including cash payments, um, but also including scholarships um, uh, to make college free. Uh, we also include um, a, a business grants um, because we know that businesses were denied opportunities. Uh, um, uh, we also in include other subsidies. So I, I think it's a, a range of approaches at, coming from multiple levels. Again, the, you know, when you're talking about housing discrimination, for instance, there was housing discrimination on the part of federal, state, and local uh, and ordinances, so uh, entities. So all of those institutions, all of those um, levels of government have some responsibility to pay, so it's going to look different. And that $156 billion, it was only in uh, the case of housing devaluation. And, and I just want to put this in perspective. In just that one area, $156 billion would have financed 
um, more than 4 million Black-owned businesses based upon the average amount Black people use to start their firms. It would have paid for 8 million four-year degrees based upon the average amount of a four-year public education. It would have replaced the pipes in Flint, Michigan 3,000 times over, covered nearly all of Hurricane Katrina damage, and it's double the, the annual economic burden of the opioid crisis. This is a big number. So when you're talking about reparations, which falls in anywhere in the area of uh, three to seventeen billion uh, trillion dollars, um, based upon the model you use, um, you could see a dramatic shift in how um, uh, black people live. And and again, I, I just want to emphasize this. Um, um, and I say this like it keeps my teeth white that there's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. That that when when people talk about what's wrong with with uh, uh, black communities, they blame black people. Chick Tak Han, the, the Vietnamese philosopher um, who recently died, once said that if you're growing a head of lettuce and it's not growing, you don't blame the lettuce. You look to see if it's getting sunlight. You look to see if it's get the soils enriched, if it's getting rainwater. You don't blame the lettuce. But when it comes to black communities, we're constantly blaming the lettuce and not looking at the policies that, it, that still inflict harm and penalty on us. So for me, reparations is, is about healing, is a moral debt, as was mentioned, it's a fiscal one. And, and, and this one more point, um, idea that we can't handle a check is ridiculous. You know, um, just this past um, pandemic, you actually saw two, two things happen. When millennials um, uh, had their student loans frozen, guess what happened? We saw a small bump in um, home ownership. Um, and and the, the relief packages for um, um, had actually caused an uptick in Black businesses, particularly micro-businesses. And so Black people used the, their uh, stimulus checks to start new businesses. Why wouldn't they start more businesses with more money? I, I mean, the evidence is pretty clear that when given the opportunity, we take it. Uh, Reverend Watson, it's always good to see you, but it's especially good to see you today uh, for this conversation. Thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me on this very important topic. I've been involved on the reparations issue since my youth. Uh, I was absolutely mentored by some of the greatest uh, reparations freedom fighters, uh, Mario Bedelli, then known as Richard Henry, uh, Reverend Milton Henry Gaidio Bedelli, Re reparations Ray Jenkins got his title from me uh, when he would call into my radio show talking about reparations every day. Uh, many of our own people don't know that uh, the Confederates who lost the Civil War, they received reparations. Many, many populations have received reparations, but not Africans who helped build this country. And the whole country benefited from the unpaid labor of African people who were kidnapped. And I, I, I prefer to say people were enslaved and not say slaves. And I refer to those who thought they owned slaves. They were not masters. They were enslavers. America will never be fully healed from, from this original sin of enslavement. Yeah, and I'm sure reparations is, that is rightfully due is afforded to Africans who helped build this country. It's not a handout. It's a dead old. 
It's not a handout. It's a dead oath. And that, that has been recognized as a legal principle that has been applied to every other group of people that has been wronged, except of African descent. Let's talk about what Detroiters approved last year and what the status is of this task force. What will we see in the coming months? Well, Stephen, it's a challenge. Um, <laughs> it always is. <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit about this group of us that meet. So there's myself, Cousin Keith over here, um, Council President Sheffield and her people. Um you know, uh, we had Jamon Jordan in the conversation earlier for the historical lens. There's some other grassroots activists that have been coming to the conversation. So we're kind of a de facto steering committee. And like you said, have been engaged since November. So we as a group are trying to make the most um, authentic and inclusive process possible. But there's always a tension with getting something done and being inclusive. Because the longer it takes to do something, the more you can be, but then we're also um, contending with, you know, this pressure from folks to, like, see something happening. Um, it's always my contention, like, the, the subject of reparations, like, this is sacred work. We're overturning, you know, generations of trauma here. Like, this is something that's going to take a lot of time to get it right, but folks are like, where's my check? So there's this tension of, of those two things, and I think what what our group is trying to consider is what can we do now? You know, we need some direct service because there are people struggling now, but also create a long enough runway where we can get this right. Because this, this is sacred work. It's, there's a lot tied up in here. It's not just like a wealth gap. It's like a hope gap, a worthiness gap, a self-respect gap. There's a lot tied into to what reparations can and should do. Uh, Keith, uh, the Black Caucus commissioned a poll that showed the majority of Detroiters support reparations for past discriminatory, discriminatory housing policies and practices here in the city. Uh, talk about those feelings and what you feel those reparations could look like. All of us remember, I think, uh, the, the, the struggle that African Americans had to own homes in, in many places here in Detroit. Uh, I think a lot of people know about the struggles that we have right now keeping homes in the city of Detroit. Um, tell us about what Detroiters think about what we should do about all that. You know, when we got involved in this, uh, I, I got involved because of the robbery center. I was looking at Channel 7 one night, and she was on, and she was talking about this little town in Evansville, Illinois. I was so impressed after the show. My wife was saying, I said, get ready to call this young lady. So I inboxed her and she called me back. And so I was inspired by she took a little city of 75,000 folks, 80% African American, and created this new economic engine. And so I said, if she can do it here, then why can't we do it in Detroit? And then so I got involved. Then to, to, to delve off into this, you've got to know the history of Detroit. Like you said in your opening, from slavery, then 19, uh, 1900, there was 6,000 blacks. Then you go to 1931, that's when the influx of blacks came from the South. And they had to come to work for Fort Motor Company. Then they had to have a place to stay, and they moved us over there, black, black biography, like that. And so I got to see, and so that's I, got, I got to think about how much wealth was stolen from us, okay? And so if you look at it, the black bottom 
and then the 375 movement, then 1941 on Burwood Street, how they used federal dollars under the auspices of urban development, as well as they did Black Bottom. We couldn't have, we didn't have a place to stay, and they did it with ordinances, restricted covenances, and um, and, and using the words the slums. So they can use it as uh, urban development money. And then I got more deep, deep into it. Then I realized up until 1961, black folks could not live in Rosedale Park because of restrictive covenants. And so I look at it like this. I don't look at it as a cash handout. I look at it as a redevelopment of the city and African Americans leading the charge on it, such as housing. Housing is where all the wealth was lost. And so, uh, like Lauren said, this is sacred stuff. I cried. I cried when I got involved in this. And when we did that poll, I knew when we did that ballot in this, you know, this is the first in the, in the, in the of this kind in the country. I just came from December 12th. I was at reparations convention sponsored by Robert Ruth Simmons in Evansville, Illinois. It was 40 cities. Detroit is a true chocolate city. San Francisco, L.A., they got black folks, nothing like Detroit. And so I said if Detroit can be the lead dog in this initiative, if we just come together, like Lauren said, we're going through some family issues right now, and we're going to get through it, you know, when you get us all together as a family, but it's all about love. But now our language, language says the city council got to set the task force up to make recommendations on economic development and housing. Yeah. yeah. So, Lauren, uh, we've got a question from Kelly on, uh, on Facebook, and I want to put it to you. She says, why do you think there's so much resistance to reparations? I think that's an interesting question to talk about the things that we are uncomfortable talking about, right? Uh, that that it when depends on, Yeah, which, which group are we talking resistance from? I think black folks resist it because we have a lot of pride for what we've been able to accomplish. And again, like Mama Watson said, and we all say it's not a it's not a handout. It's, you know, for, for work served. So there, there's a lot of pride on the part of black folks. I think that other groups, I would just say anti-black racism, like in your opening segment, you talked about the other ethnic groups that, you know, were compensated for their, their pain and trauma and time served. And I think if you, you know, apples to apples, harm done compensation, what's, what's the differing factor in those groups and us other than, you know, our, our color? I really think it's specific anti-black racism that people don't don't want us to have anything. No, I, I think there's also... Uh, there's a dimension of this that differs from other some of these other groups, right? After the Holocaust took place uh, during World War II, uh, uh, the Germans were sorry for what they did, and they were made to be sorry by an international community. Uh, but there, there was there was a feeling that they did owe something uh, to the Jews who were who were victims. Uh, after uh, Japanese were interred here in um, in um, in this country during the during the war, eventually there was a, an apologetic um, imperative to try to make that better. I, I, I don't think that has happened quite yet uh, with everybody. It certainly didn't happen after the Civil War. Uh, there was a backlash that 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 was angry that African Americans were free and wanted to compete for all the resources that everybody else did. You move up through Jim Crow, 
the civil rights movement. Uh, today, we're fighting about uh, the language that the president of the United States is using to describe his next Supreme Court nominee, nominee who would be the first African-American woman uh, to sit on that court. I think that's part of what is missing. There, there is not uh, an imperative to be sorry. That's correct, but what is at the root of that? <laughs> you know, why, why, why is that? I think also there, there needs to be some education around what our contributions were, like even for black folks. Um, everything I know about black history, I learned starting at the age of maybe 35, you know, through my own um, research. So what does it look like when we have a comprehensive understanding of what our contributions actually were? So, you know, we were doing a reparations program at the Charles H. Wright, and one of the participants had his grandfather show up, who was an actual sharecropper. So he walked us through his day as a sharecropper. After his testimony, we all understood why we were worthy of this compensation. But everybody doesn't have access to stories like that. But what if everybody did? I just think that money should go into housing so we can lay their head and build some wealth. And then we need an economic engine. You know, with all this new creativity out here, these kids are entrepreneurs, they should be able to... Uh, do, they should be able to be, go out there and, kind of, and produce a product and, and sell their product and make money off of it. Uh, you know, this is not about a handout. Uh, this is about a handout. And we're not asking for somebody to do something for us. And then you got some African-Americans going through that psychological problem. They don't want, no, they don't want to be under uh, the auspice of thinking that somebody gave them something. But guess, uh, guess what? It would take us 233 years to catch up with white America and their wealth. And so somehow we got to close this gap. And why not in Detroit? Why not in Washington, D.C., where we know I grew up in Detroit. I was born and raised in, in, in Black Bottom. I was born in Women's Hospital. The street, East uh, uh, East 4th Street, is still there. It's old King's football, it's King's football field where we live. And so I came from that. We moved from there to Northwest Detroit in 1957. So I get it. But, you know, currently we got this, this tax problem on the 600,000 of the, 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 the assessment part of it, and we need to do something about that. So it's a it's like a smorgasbord of things, but I think housing and, and economic development should drive this agenda. A lot of folks have their hand in causing the pain and the harm in African Americans. All I want to see is black folks get repaid, we get our dignity back, and we can have a, a brighter future for all our kids. I'm, I'm 66 now, and I went to the whole side of the city of Detroit. I just want to see a vision of, of hope. And like the, the, my acronym for hope is this, helping, helping our people elevate. I want to see people elevate to a new standard of living and where they can prosper and they can enjoy the American dream. And you can see this in Entire hour-long town hall on reparations on the American Black Journal Facebook page. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for watching. You can find out more about our guests at AmericanBlackJournal.org, and you can always connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Look around. Look at you. Look at the beach. The moon makes you go crazy.
From Delta faucets to bare paint, Masco Corporation is proud to deliver products that enhance the way consumers all over the world experience and enjoy their living spaces. Masco, serving Michigan communities since 1929. Support also provided by the Cynthia Ethel Ford Fund for Journalism at Detroit Public TV. The DTE Foundation proudly supports 50 years of American Black Journal in covering African American history, culture, and politics. The DTE Foundation and American Black Journal partners in presenting African American perspectives about our communities and in our world. Also brought to you by AAA, Nissan Foundation, and viewers like you. Thank you. What are you doing here? Relax. I told you. 